Good morning. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be reading from Acts 10, verses 30 to 33. Cornelius replied, For days ago at this hour, at three in the afternoon, I was praying in my house. Just then a man in dazzling clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your acts of charity have been remembered in God's sight. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. He is lodging in Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. So I immediately sent for you, and it was good of you to come. So now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you have been commanded by the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this place. Thank you for this room. Thanks that I get to be a part of this worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen. There you go. Cheering section. Anita, not many many people get get, uh, applauded for reading the scripture. That was excellent. Good morning. Every once in a while, someone will ask me um, if I get nervous before I preach. And the answer is unequivocally yes. Uh, I, I don't really get nervous that... Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forget something or, or mess up a phrase. Anybody that's been here more than a couple of weeks knows that that happens. Every Sunday morning before I preach, despite a week of prayer and preparation, there's always kind of this nagging fear in the back of my mind that I'm gonna say something that's not of God. And, And that's a pretty big burden to bear. That's why the very last thing I do every Sunday morning before I walk up those stairs is say a quick, desperate prayer, and it always goes something like this. Lord, if I say anything this morning that is not of you, wipe it from their minds. Let them hear your words, not mine. And then I check to make sure my zipper's up. And those are the last things I do when I walk up those stairs every Sunday. And despite praying that prayer every Sunday, I am always surprised when after the service, someone comes to me and says, David, the Holy Spirit uh, really spoke to me during your sermon this morning. Quick side note, if you ever want to tickle a preacher's ear, lead with that because they're going to be all in from that moment. David, the Holy Spirit really spoke to me during your sermon. And then almost invariably, they will say something that has nothing to do with anything I was preaching. I'm not going to lie. It's a little, it's a little shot to the ego, but at the same time, it is this unbelievable reminder and comfort that God is here with us this morning. The Holy Spirit is moving in this room. 
This morning, as we continue to look at stories in the book of Acts, we get to explore a beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit goes before us. And we simply get to come alongside him in his work. The beginning of Acts chapter 10, we meet a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is a Gentile, but he's not just any Gentile. He is a Roman centurion of the Italian regiment stationed in a town called Caesarea. Caesarea was kind of ground zero for the Roman occupation of Judea. It's where Pontius Pilate lived. Um, And as a Roman centurion, this man Cornelius is kind of the picture of the enemy. You see, the Jews were incredibly upset by this Roman occupation. As a matter of fact, one of the main reasons so many Jews could not receive Jesus as the Messiah was because it was their understanding, their belief, their hope that the Messiah would come and recreate the physical kingdom of Israel, the strength of Israel, drive out the enemies, and here we are with Rome still in charge. Now, despite all of that, despite being kind of the very epitome of the enemy, of the foreign occupiers, this man Cornelius was actually well-respected amongst the Jews, incredibly unusual in that day and age because of the divide, not only the religious and political divide between Jews and Gentiles, but that bridge that a Jew just could not mentally, emotionally, spiritually cross to love and respect a Roman centurion. But this man Cornelius, he was respected because he was sympathetic to the Jews. He was incredibly generous He was compassionate. He gave to Jewish causes. He even prayed to the Jewish God, sought the Jewish God, despite having been told time and time again he could not find that God because he was unclean, because he was unworthy, because he was a Gentile and not a Jew. Here early in Acts chapter 10, we see this Roman centurion, Cornelius, Seeking God, but not knowing where to find him. The good news was God honored that search as the scriptures tell us he always will. And God meets Cornelius in a dream in the form of an angel. Cornelius, not surprisingly, is a a little shocked, a little taken aback. But he listens to the angel and the angel says, In Joppa... About 35 miles south, there's a man named Peter. He's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Send out some people to go get him and bring him back. And what does Cornelius do? He immediately calls two of his servants and his right-hand man, soldier buddy, and says, hey, you three go to this town of Joppa, find this man Peter, and bring him back to me. As we continue in Acts chapter 10, we see Peter. He's sitting in Joppa. Now, we all know Peter well from all those months that we studied the Gospel of Mark. From these last few weeks in Acts, he was, he was kind of the leader of Jesus' disciples. 
Here in Acts, he has been the evangelist, the world's first great evangelist. And here we find Peter in this town of Joppa. It's the middle of the day. He's up on the rooftop having a prayer time, which would not have been unusual. Being midday, he gets kind of hungry. He smells the food being prepared in the house. And suddenly he kind of goes into this trance and starts having these bacon dreams. You know, we've all, we've all been there where you're trying to just have a quiet time. And next thing you know, your stomach is rumbling and you, you smell the smells of the family meal down the hall. And all you can focus on is what's for dinner. And, and that's exactly what happens to Peter. Peter's on this roof and he's praying. And next thing you know, he's having these visions and it's this sheet that comes down from heaven filled with all kinds of animals. We see in verse 12, in this sheet, there were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and birds of the sky. The King James Version says, all manner of wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. It's just so much more poetic, isn't it? Wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And then in this vision, there's a voice from heaven that tells Peter, get up, go kill and eat. Now, objectively, this is a weird dream. But for Peter, it would have been way more weird than any of us can imagine. Because as the sheet comes down and all of these wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air are on it. Peter, a good Jew, spent his entire life doing everything he can to follow the Mosaic law, including all of the dietary restrictions. What he would have seen is a sheet full of unclean animals. So to hear a voice from, from heaven saying, kill and eat, would have been a shock to his senses, which we see in Acts chapter 10 is exactly what it was. Because the first thing he says is, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't be serious. Because those things are unclean, and I have never defiled my body with anything unclean. God, in this vision, then tells Peter... That, what I have made clean, you cannot declare unclean. The same vision, sheet, wild beasts, creeping things, fowls of the air. It happens again, and then it happens a third time. And then the sheet is lifted up to heaven, and Peter kind of starts to come to his senses, and he's trying to process through this, and he's confused, and he still doesn't understand what it's all about. Next thing you know, there are three dudes from Caesarea at the front gate calling his name. Peter hears the Holy Spirit say, I sent those guys to find you. Go down and meet them. Peter has no clue what's going on, but he knows he has very clearly heard the Holy Spirit to meet these men and go back with them. Now, the distance between Caesarea and Joppa, about 36 miles, be like walking from here to Murfreesboro. And these guys had just made that trip. So Peter, 
He's not going to be like, all right, dudes, let's roll on back. Let's put in the 72 mile day. So instead, Peter goes down, he greets them, he brings them in, offers them lodging, shelter for the night. And guys, you need to understand, that was a big deal. Peter, good Jew, was never supposed to even associate with Gentiles, those that he considered to be unclean. Certainly not two Gentile servants and a Roman soldier. So to invite them in, to give them lodging, to give them shelter for the night, to associate with them would have been a huge step of faith in Peter's life. Before he knows it, the next morning comes and Peter and his three new buddies are rolling back up to Caesarea, back to Cornelius' house. We see in Acts chapter 10 what it looks like when Peter enters this house. And one of the main things that I always recognize when I read this story is even at that moment, Cornelius hears the vision from God, go get Peter. He immediately acts and does it. Peter gets the vision that what I have declared clean, you cannot declare unclean. He brings these men in and then follows them to Cornelius' house. Yet despite all of that, when he enters the home, they still are incredibly confused. Both Cornelius and Peter don't really have any idea what's going on. If you look at verse 25, when they come in, the first thing Cornelius does is fall to his feet and begin to worship Peter. You see, Cornelius, he's been trying to find God. God finally gives him a vision. Go get this man, Peter, and he'll tell you what to do. It would not have been unusual for a Roman to worship a man. They've been told, he's been told his entire life, Caesar was a God. He doesn't really know what's going on. He knows he's seeking God. He doesn't know where to find him. So this man, Peter, that was sent by God, his first reaction is to to bow down and worship Peter. Peter says, oh, buddy, come on, come on, come on, get up, get up, get up. I'm just a guy just like you're a guy. You're a bit confused about God. But then Peter, verse 28, look at his opening line. Peter said to them, the guys in Cornelius' house, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. Like, Opening line, just, just so we're all on the same page, guys. Good Jew. Y'all are all unclean. I'm not really supposed to be here. I just don't want you to get kind of your signals crossed. I'm the good guy in this scenario, but God told me to come, so here I am. Now, Cornelius, why am I supposed to be here? Neither of them have a grasp on what's going on. That's when we arrive at this passage that Anita so eloquently read for us this morning. Cornelius looks at Peter and says, You know, I don't know. I don't know why you're here. All I know is this. I'm trying to find God. And an angel told me to find you. So now here we are in the presence of God. What do you have to tell me? God bless you.
Peter, being the great evangelist that he is, hears those words and without hesitation immediately jumps in to a three-point sermon about the gospel. He immediately jumps into the life of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The fact that we can find forgiveness in Jesus and Jesus alone. And in verse 44, we see Cornelius, the Gentile Roman centurion, find Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. But look with me at verse 44. Peter, he's he's giving his passionate, eloquent perfectly laid out three-point sermon. And in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message while he was still speaking, which was probably a a little bit of a disappointment to Peter. He's like, hey, you can't get saved yet. I haven't even gotten to my big finish. Let's everybody just pump the brakes a little bit. I'm getting there. But you see, what we see in those words while he was still speaking, Cornelius met Jesus. What we need to understand is it wasn't how eloquent Peter spoke. It wasn't how perfectly he structured his sermon. It wasn't the words of Peter at all. It was the movement of the Holy Spirit in Cornelius' life that saved him. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit was working. Even after all of that, even after the visions and the miracles and seeing the Holy Spirit move, Peter's buddies weren't convinced. They were still a bit confused. These guys, Gentiles, not not even just Gentiles, Roman soldiers. In the first three verses of chapter 11, we see that this kind of shook the entire church in the region all the way back to Jerusalem. Believers in Jerusalem began to criticize Peter. Not for the idea that these Gentiles might be worthy to hear the gospel, but the simple fact that Peter went and dined with them anyway. Like, Peter, let's, let's, let's step back several steps. What the heck were you doing even hanging out with these folks? And it doesn't end in Acts chapter 11. You can go all the way to Acts chapter 15. You see the Jerusalem council. And even then, the entire church is debating this idea. Are Gentiles worthy to hear the gospel? As my buddy Mike Glenn says so often, nothing messes up a church more than when God starts to save the wrong people. Why is that? Why does it make us so uncomfortable? Really, that that guy? That girl? They don't even know the most basic Sunday school stories. 
Jesus? They're on the wrong side of this this political thing that I've been told my entire life you have to believe if you're a Christian. They do this thing that I've been told my, my whole life you can't do. They identify as this person I've been told my whole life you can't identify as. They can't meet Jesus. You know why it makes us so uncomfortable? Because we still don't have a firm grasp on the totality, simplicity, and radical inclusivity of the gospel good news of Jesus Christ. We are still convinced that this needs to be an exclusive club. Who wants to be in a fraternity that anybody can join? The cool thing about it is there's this elaborate, extensive initiation and hazing process. And if that person can get in, what does that say about me? This week, I would love for you to go back and reread the entire 10th chapter of Acts. 48 verses. And as you were reading the story of the salvation experience of Cornelius, the Gentile Roman centurion, I want you to be reminded of two things. First, I want you to praise God that his gospel is so much bigger than us. I want you to praise God that his gospel is bigger than our differences and our prejudices. It's bigger than our cultural and racial and political divides. Have you ever noticed that when you're, when you're driving on the interstate, the person that's in front of you that is driving too slow, how selfish they are. Just get out of the way. You're such a jerk. And the person that's behind you and they're tailgating you and they weave around you, they're a maniac. They're going to kill somebody. You're the only person on the interstate that's driving the exact right speed. We as followers of Christ have an unbelievable capacity to justify ourselves and condemn everyone else. We're the only ones that have everything figured out. And, and as soon as, as this person acts exactly like I act, that will prove to me that they've met Jesus. Jesus. 
Praise the Lord that the gospel is so much bigger than us. And praise the Lord that the gospel is so much bigger than our failures and our limitations. Up until this point, up until Acts chapter 10, Peter, the leader of Christ's disciples, the great evangelist of Pentecost, up until this point, he did not fully understand the whole gospel. He did not fully understand the idea that Christ died for everyone. Peter was still struggling with the idea that Gentiles could hear the gospel, that Gentiles were worthy to receive Christ up until Acts chapter 10. Peter had put God in this box and he was in grave danger of putting religion above God himself. Sometimes taking that step out of our comfort zone Crossing that bridge as a Christ follower takes the most faith. I mean, look at these stories. Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, he gets a vision. He's, he's shocked. God says, go find this man, Peter, 36 miles south of you. What does Cornelius do? He go finds Peter, 36 miles south. Peter, man of God, good Jew, in his prayer time, he sees a vision, also shocked. And his response is, let's pump the brakes for just a second. It was easier for Peter to perform miracles then do this thing he was so uncomfortable with. Acts chapter 9, just a few verses prior to this. Verse 34, Peter meets a man named Aeneas. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And Aeneas was healed. Just a few verses later, Peter is in Joppa. We're talking about hours or maybe a couple of days before this vision. And there's a disciple in Joppa and her name is Tabitha. And Tabitha got sick and she died. We see Peter in verse 40 of Acts chapter 9. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, turning towards the body and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter and sat up. And then here, Acts chapter, chapter 10, Peter himself in his prayer time, a vision from the Lord. And what does the Lord say to him? Peter. Get up, kill and eat. Peter did not hesitate to heal Aeneas. 
Peter did not hesitate to raise Tabitha from the dead. But when the Lord tells him, get up, Peter says, surely not, Lord. You can't mean this thing. Peter so desperately wanted to remain kosher. He put himself in danger of missing out on what God had for him. What are those things in our lives that we're holding on to so desperately? God, you can't really be asking me to do that. You can't really be asking me to hang out with that person or go to that place. What are those things that we are so danger, so, so in danger of putting in front of the Lord in our lives? This week, as you read Acts chapter 10, praise the Lord that his gospel is bigger than us. And also, this week, as you read Acts chapter 10, I want you to be reminded to walk and live in the hope and the expectancy of the Holy Spirit going before us into the places that he's sending us. Billy Graham famously said, it's, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to love, God's job to judge, and my job to love. So often we get those things mixed up and we think it's our job to convict and to judge, and it's God's job to love. This week, Praise the Lord that he goes before us. He's doing the convicting. Now, that doesn't mean that we are absolved from sharing our story. That doesn't mean we are absolved from going. What that does mean is we are absolved from the burden of saving. We have the great pleasure of just showing up. We have the great pleasure of going where the Holy Spirit is already working. Cornelius had felt the Holy Spirit in his life. Cornelius had felt the draw of the Lord in his life. God gave Peter the incredible opportunity of being a part of that and witnessing the Holy Spirit working. In Cornelius and his life. Praise the Lord that his spirit goes before us. There was a early 20th century pastor and theologian. His name was Harry Ironside. He tells the story of his father on his deathbed. The family was in the room and his father was mumbling something and nobody could quite understand exactly what his father was saying. And they leaned in close and they finally figured out his father was, was mentioning Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10. He's talking about it. There's, there's, a great, there's a great sheet. 
and all manner of wild beasts. And, and he couldn't quite finish it. One of the family members leaned in close and said, John, it says, and creeping things. And John Iron said, Ironside said, ah, oh, yes, creeping things. That's how I got in. Just a no good, good for nothing, creeping thing. Saved by grace. Praise the Lord that God saves us creeping things. I would love for us as a congregation to bow our heads and just take a couple of minutes to pray together. As you bow your head, take a moment just to center yourself. Rid yourself of any barrier that stands between you and your creator in this moment. Thank the Lord for the incredible miracle of his son that died to pay the penalty for our sins and then rose again on that third day so that we may live with him. Now I want you to ask the Lord. for the Cornelius in your life. The name of that person on your street, where you work, in your family that he's sending you to. If you are Cornelius this morning, if you desperately want to find God but don't know where, ask the Lord for your Peter. Someone to tell you. Lord, we come before you humbled and amazed by your presence in this room. Grateful for your spirit that fills us to overflowing and that goes before us. Thankful that you save the creeping things. Trusting in your work. It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen.